You're listening to The Doers Podcast, right here on The Doers Network. And now, here's your host, Donald Robinson II. Well, welcome everyone to The Doers Network. I'm Donald Robinson II, your host. And in this interview, we have a special guest. We have Mr. Mark Hudson, co-founder of Rocket Fiber High Speed Internet Service, servicing all your business needs. And for the high speed internet, for those of you who are in the know that need fast, reliable service, look no further because this is what uh, Rocket Fiber is all about and this is what Mark specializes in. So, Mark, how you doing? Don, I'm doing great tonight, man. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, thank you for being a part, man. Really appreciate you, man. So getting right into it, man, let's talk about who Mark Hudson is. You know, what's your business and your background, and how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, so uh, born and raised in the Detroit area. I grew up in Northville um, and went to uh, Northville schools and uh, actually started my entrepreneurial career pretty young. My uh, my my family was uh, by necessity forced into kind of an entrepreneurial cycle where we went through a number of startups that we uh, we did within the family. Um, and that was after my dad uh, actually lost his job, had a, uh, uh, you know, high paying corporate job and the company got bought and the management team got, got taken out. And my dad was part of that and kind of decided at that point in his life that he had enough with corporate America. And so it was going to be all startups from there. Okay. Um, so, so from about, you know, 10, 11 years old, started uh, working in different family businesses uh, that were all basically out of our, our home in Northville. What kind of businesses were do you all run? So we've done, uh, we started like with a gumball machine business where we were going into local, you know, retail businesses, stores, restaurants, and, and pitching them on putting a, a gumball machine or a candy machine uh, in their business, in some cases paying them uh, for the for the right to do that. And, you know, going around every weekend and cleaning and servicing those machines, refilling them with candy and gumballs and getting all the quarters. Um, you'd be shocked at how much people spend on, on those uh, random, you know, gumball or candy machines sitting in the corner of a, you know, a store or movie store back then. Yeah. Um, but that was that was one of the first ones. And we did another one um, uh, called Sweet Celebrations, which was, uh, you know, the uh, edible floral arrangements that you can get where it's like chocolate roses and 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 edible candy and that type of stuff or yeah. edible flowers. Yeah. Uh, we actually did a business just like that. This is when that was still a, a new thing, probably in the mid nineties. Uh, I think now there was like one or two, you know, major players that owns that entire industry across the country, but we actually started one uh, and we're doing that at different trade shows and, 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 you know, trying to promote that business to anyone that, that we knew that was in our network. Sure. Um, that one was, was pretty short lived didn't work out so well. Um, and then, uh, another one we did, which is probably my favorite, um, we started a, uh, a greenhouse business. Okay. So we had about three acres. Uh, my parents still own that property, three acres in Northville, um, kind of a more rural area, almost South Lyon. And my, my dad, one of his, uh, uh, friends, mentors, bosses at work, uh, was a guy that, that Oh, still owned and operated a family farm and invited my dad to go out there one time. And my dad basically got to experience what a greenhouse was like in Michigan in, in, in February, March, when it's, when it's cold and it's gray, much like today, uh, yeah. but go out there and basically be in this environment where it's like Florida, it's humid, warm, there's things growing. And, uh, 
he really, really, you know, fell in love with it. So decided we were going to start a family greenhouse business. Uh, next thing you know, we've got a, a hundred foot long commercial greenhouse on our property wow. and we're growing, uh, you know, annuals, perennials, herbs, and selling those at local farmers markets. Okay. And, uh, that business was actually pretty good. Um, it was just quite, quite a bit of work. And as, uh, you know, my brothers and I, you know, got into high school and, 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 you know, everyone knows that the older you get, the more serious school becomes, the more time you need to dedicate towards school. Right. It was really hard to support, support my dad in doing that. Um, and just a lot of strain on the family overall for that, you know, three or four month period every year where you're really focused, everyone's trying to do that. So I ended up stopping that. Um, but I really never, um, really never got over that business, uh, really actually wanted to keep doing it. So, uh, kind of led me to my next step in life. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful, man. That, so that, all of that experience taught you a lot about the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. And I'm not surprised about the gumball experience because I know that a lot of people buy candy and buy sweets and things like that. So it's almost like you could put a gumball machine anywhere in any business and it'll do, it'll do well, you know? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's one of those things people don't think about, but uh, yeah, I mean those machines, some of the the good ones are racking out twenty, thirty, forty dollars a week in in candy. Wow! Um, and those machines only cost a couple hundred bucks, so they pay back pretty quickly. Yeah. And if you don't mind, uh, you know, counting and stacking a, a lot of quarters, then uh, it's it's not a bad business to be in if you can get those agreements with those retailers to uh, to locate them. Sure. And then in your growing up and going to school, did you have any experience of working anywhere else, like maybe even a store or a fast food restaurant, anything like that, or were you just straight entrepreneurial? Uh, no, so I, I definitely uh, learned a lot of life lessons working in retail. I actually was a shoe salesman at uh, J.C. Penney uh, for almost two years. Um, that was uh, probably my junior, senior of high school, I think even going into my, my freshman year of college, okay. um, was, was actually, you know, Al Bundy in the flesh, uh, hawking shoes at 12 Oaks mall. <laughs> right. Um, I was, I was the second best shoe salesman in the department. There was one guy, older guy, never forget him. He was just untouchable. No one could get anyone near <laughs> anywhere near his numbers or could figure out how he did what he did. Sure. Um, so, but I was uh, number two and, and running around on, on weekends trying to, you know, make that my hustle, uh, you know, selling shoes. Did, did well enough. In fact, I was able to buy myself my, uh, my dream truck. Okay. Uh, so it was an early lesson for me in, in terms of, you know, hard work, grinding, and, and being able to attain something that, that you set your mind to. So always wanted to get a uh, Dodge Dakota quad cab, oh, man. all black. And, and I finally got it, put a lift kit on it. And, uh, you know, was, was, uh, Mr. Mr. Cool guy driving around with my, my truck and all my friends. And we used to take that thing, go to the park, hang out, um, put a couch in the back, drive around town. Yeah. You know, it was, it was great. So, um, so yeah, so long story short, I, I, uh, I definitely done more than just entrepreneurial endeavors and retail taught me a ton about, you know, the way that people, you know, unfortunately, the, the, the downside of the way people can treat people in those positions, whether it's retail, the, the hospitality industry, servers or whatnot, you see firsthand, you know, a lot of people are great, but a lot of people are just downright rude and nasty. Yeah. Uh, so I've never, 
never forgotten about uh, people that, that take care of you and, and wait on you and do that stuff. And, and it always tried to be uh, really good to those types of people because uh, it's a very hard job and, and one that people don't get enough credit for. And not only that, man, you, you're right. And, and another aspect of it is it's humbling, too, because it shows you that the lowest level of the worker in any business is is just as important as the CEO or the owner because, you know, the most likely the people on the front lines are the ones that drive the business, that drive the income, the revenue. They're the ones who greet the customers. They're on the front line. So, you know, it's like you got to treat them with respect just as much as you do anybody else. And um, I'm glad you did well in that because those are well-taught, well-learned lessons, I think. And um, that's why I was going to go into about some of the life lessons. So, in this is let's just look at the retail aspect for a second. What what would you say would be the biggest life lesson you learned outside of what you just talked about with the with the retail industry? What 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 did you what did you gather from that that you're using even to till this day? Uh probably sales. I mean, you 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 really, especially in that position, you've got to learn how to sell. You gotta learn how to convince people. Um what you're what you're trying to get them to do, whether that's actually to part with their money or to get on board with your idea, whatever that may be, it really is about selling. Yeah. And, you know, if you're a founder of a company, you are always selling. Whether yeah. you're selling your product, your vision, your idea, new people that you want to join your team, you are selling pretty much 24 by 7. So if you can't convince people uh, to get on board with, with your product, your team, company, your vision, your idea, whatever it may be, you're really not going to get anywhere. So I would say sales for me, uh, was was a big uh, takeaway from that position and a number of other positions that I've had. Sure, sure. Yeah, that's a great one um, because a lot of people, you know, you really have to know people and, you know, have to have a vested interest in people. The people, the thing I think people in sales discount a lot of times, they, they look at the end goal as the dollar sale versus the satisfaction of the person because even if even it for a brief five minutes, you're getting to know somebody and, you're getting to know their tastes and dislikes and whatever. So your your job is to be a service. And that's what a sales job is all about, is being of service to people. And I think a lot of people that are in it may be in it for the wrong reason. They're in it for, like they said, that financial gain, the end goal of making that commission or the dollar, whatever. And sometimes that comes across for, to the customer and they can tell. That's why sometimes they'll not go through the sale because they don't feel the energy of the person is in their best interest, you know? Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of people are turned off if they think, you know, the conversation or the relationship is, is purely transactional in nature. Um, and and the, certainly the, the bigger the product or the bigger the thing that you're trying to sell, uh, that becomes more and more the case. So it can't just be the transaction. It's got to be you really rolling up your sleeves, understanding what what the issues or problems or challenges the other person has and how uh, what you're pitching them on could solve that. And it really starts with listening, which is where a lot of salespeople go wrong. They want to just talk. Yep. They want to tell you about their product. They want to tell you all the things that they can do for you. They don't want to listen. They don't want to listen to your problems. They want to get to know you. They want to get to know your business. And uh, I think that's where a lot of people fall short. So the best salespeople I see uh, really start the conversation by asking a lot of questions um, and, and making it about you rather than the thing that they're trying to uh, to pitch you on on that particular day. Yeah, and I'm curious, man, going back to the older gentleman, so nobody ever discovered his secret sauce? Did, it, did anybody, including you, did, you, did any of you try to talk to him and see where his head is at and how, did he, how, how successful he was and how he became that successful? Well, I'll be honest with you. I think he was doing some things that were uh, were, were maybe not the most ethical in terms of, uh, 
you know, selling shoes that were the wrong size or okay. uh, doing, doing some things that he was kind of bending the rules. I think that was part of it. I'm not trying to take away from him. I mean, he was a, he was a smooth operator. He's a great salesperson. So yeah. I can't take that away from him, yeah. but he didn't find He never found a sale that he couldn't make, even if we couldn't actually fulfill it. So that was part of it. Part of the running, the yeah. running joke. So I guess lesson learned there too, for me was I was never going to be that guy. Right. I was never going to be so driven by, by money or numbers or goals that I was going to, you know, intentionally hurt the person that I'm I'm trying to serve. Sure. Yeah. 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 That's a great lesson because it, you end up hurting the person in the long run. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. So then after like your, after your college years, were you still into like um, personal, like, like, like personal careers like retail or did you go a different direction or, or what happened there? Well, I actually, so I went to uh, Michigan State to study horticulture. So I actually had this idea after high school of, of reviving the family business, getting back into greenhouses, but, but blending technology. How could I make these greenhouses more uh, technology-driven? Because there really is not a lot of tech in that space. Right. Um, and so I went to Michigan State. They got a great program, horticulture program, um, and, and started studying that. And my first year there uh, after completing that we are required to do an internship and I interned with a landscaping company uh, here in the Detroit area and they actually uh, had a website and they they had a, a problem with their website and they said you're the young college kid you figure it out wow okay and so at this point I had no idea nothing about websites no coding nothing and uh, I, I tapped my dad on the shoulder and said hey dad you know you used to do a lot of software development because um, he was actually a, a um, computer guy um, before he joined management at this company and actually built his own computer business that he had sold to this company that he ended up working for for uh, 15 or 20 years. Okay. Um, and so I said, hey, Dad, I know you, you might be a bit rusty, but maybe you can teach me how to code. And so spent you know a good part of that summer um, with my dad kind of learning how to code and then going back to school in the fall, just fell headfirst into coding, reading books staying in on Friday nights, which is crazy for a Michigan state student to do. I'm staying in Friday night. I'm coding, um, building websites and, and really just becoming a technologist. So, um, that turned me into a, 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 uh, an entrepreneur in a different sense. And that I started a, uh, online website for the green industry. Um, so I, I started building a company called landscaping And I worked on that for almost four years. Uh, throughout college. So this was a website that would kind of bridge the green industry, uh, bring that technology uh, into the mix and really connect the nurseries, the greenhouses to the landscapers. So one of the problems I saw at that internship that summer is a landscape contractor is going to go do a big, you know, new landscaping job for a, a, a home and they've designed it and they've got all these great plants and flowers and, and shrubs and all this stuff but they have no idea where to buy it. Okay. So my job every morning was to either call around or, or drive around all these nurseries and greenhouses and find out what plants they had in stock. And so landscapingscene.com was an online uh, quote request tool at its core that would connect landscapers to these nurseries so they could submit one form, send it on their way to all the regional nurseries and greenhouses and get pricing and real-time inventory back. Okay. Um, so I built that thing uh, four years later, basically uh, started getting traction, had about 100 users on it, uh, still free at this time. No one, no one paid. Um, and then I, I honestly just I lost interest in it. I, I, at this point, I was just kind of done with the green industry and 
really just full-blown technology and really had built this product and kind of did it the wrong way. I didn't do a lot of talking with my customers. I wasn't out there testing it. It was really just me tinkering away for four years, building this thing until it was so perfect. It was wrong. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so kind of a, you know, great lesson learned about startups. You know, I tell you, get your product out there, iterate quickly, build a minimum viable product. Well, in this case, I did that completely wrong and, and, and didn't do any of that stuff. So, um, that was kind of the end of, end of landscaping com, And at that point I was, I was leaving school. Uh, so it was a great transition point, uh, into my post-school life. Okay. It sounds like, but it sounds like you gained a lot of development experience in terms of learning how, the ropes of building a website and keeping it, maintaining it, improving it, you know, and, and that was great. Sounds like that was great experience just doing that. Cause you, basically you were hands on and you, you know, you, you took that mantle and, and ran with it. You took the, took the baton and just ran around the track with it and, and learned a lot, you know, and a lot of, I think that's even, even in doing that, just an entrepreneur's way of doing it. Cause you, you didn't worry about, planning it out you just did it and you learned as you went along so that was great too and then after so after that how did you make the transition into full-blown like technology ventures and, and projects and things like that so while i was actually at michigan state my my day gig to fund my landscaping scene.com development was i i uh, got hired by the college of communication arts and sciences which i transferred to after finishing my horticulture degree and I became the web strategist for that college. So I was actually doing development work on their website uh, during the day while doing the landscaping scene.com thing at night. And um, basically, when I was going to graduate, I, uh, my, my boss at the time, great lady, great mentor of mine, uh, called me in her office. She said, hey, Mark, we know you're leaving. Uh, we really like the work you've done. We want to hire you on a consulting basis after you leave. And this is my first first time in my life I've ever, you know, even considered being a consultant. It's a big fancy term. I don't know what it means. Right. Um, and so I basically overnight started my own um, uh, web strategy consulting firm um, called Hudson Digital. And uh, Michigan State was my first customer. And so I continued my work working uh, through the college um, and then kind of just started adding customers. Okay. And uh, so Hudson Digital got got it off the ground. Um, uh, my dad actually joined me for a little while. Uh, he was he was my partner in that business, and we were off and running, and, and really for almost two years, uh, building different you know websites and, and, and digital strategies for tons of different companies. Okay. And that was actually going really well. And then while we were doing that, we had this idea for another startup. Um, that eventually was called CareChat, and CareChat was a uh, was an app for assisted living. Um, so both of my grandmothers, uh, my dad's mom and my mom's mom, were uh, both in assisted living at the same time. And while we were, you know, doing Hudson Digital, we'd do that during the day, and then at night, you know, we'd take turns going to visit uh, both both the grandmas. Um, and we noticed the exact same thing. Um, that our family was facing, that most families in this facility were facing, which was in assisted living, most of the primary care functions happen during the day. So whether it's medicine, whether it's hygiene, meals, games, entertainment, most of that happens during the day. And most families are visiting at night when they get off work. 
So if you want to communicate with the, the actual human being that's taking care of your loved one, you do what we did, which is we put a dry erase board on the wall and we started writing notes to the, to the daytime caregiver who would write notes back to us. And we started noticing as we were walking by other rooms, like every family did the same thing. It was a, it was a notebook. It was a dry erase board. So we decided to build our own app to solve that called CareChat. It was essentially an app that would allow families to communicate with caregivers in real time uh, about their loved ones. And so we were building CareChat. Um, really excited about that, getting that product going. And at the same time, I'd started to come to downtown Detroit for all the tech meetups that were starting to happen. This was back in 2011, 2012. There was, there was something starting to happen in Detroit. You could feel this energy and I really was drawn to it. Okay. Um, you know, love hanging out with my dad all day, every day, but you know, you just don't get exposure to other people that are doing the same things as you passionate about the same thing. So that was really my outlet was coming down to Detroit. And uh, at one of those meetups, I met a couple of guys that worked at Quicken Loans. Okay. Uh, they were part of their, you know, exploding technology team that was, you know, at 600 people at the time and, and, and just growing like crazy. And they pitched me on coming and join Quicken. And it, it sounded really, really tempting. And I told my dad, I said, hey, you know, I don't think I'd ever worked for a company, but this might be the one opportunity I jump at. And I go work there during the day and we continue developing care chat at night. Like we're already doing. Sure. Um, so long story short, we shut Hudson digital down. I joined Quicken loans as a user interface engineer in August of 2012. And we continued to develop care chat uh, for about another year. Okay. And then that's when, that's when the rocket fiber thing happened. Okay. So let's go into the whole discovery rocket fiber, the idea and into fruition. So, so you're working at Quicken Loans and then did the idea come to you then, or did you meet people? Or how, how did it, how, how did rocket fiber come into existence? Yeah. So I, you know, I always tell everyone it, it, it wasn't a, it was not an original idea. So it wasn't like, you know, this invention that I came up with, it was really, you know, just me being really interested in and in following Google fiber um, which had been announced two years prior to that, actually, while I was still at Michigan State. And Google was building this next generation internet network in Kansas City. And, um, you know, I joined Quicken and, you know, four or five months into, into my time there, I read this article one night about Google Fiber finally going live in Kansas City. And the article is literally just interviewing all these people. And I start to see a pattern. They're from San Francisco. They're from New York. They're from Boston. They're all young. They're all technology startups. And it was like all of them on, on repeat saying how they moved from these traditional technology startup cities to Kansas City of all places to take advantage of that infrastructure. Yeah. Um, and, and really that digital infrastructure, that the analogy, it's like the rest of the country's on dial-up in Kansas City, the first city that has DSL or, or cable internet. Right. Um, and they want to develop the next Spotify or YouTube or Netflix or other, you know, high bandwidth application that, that we can only dream about right now. Right. And they, they have access to that infrastructure before anyone else. So it was really simple. It was like, man, we got to do this in Detroit. You know, there's all this technology investment going on. Uh, you know, Dan Gilbert's buying up companies and buildings. He's investing and others are moving in. And there's these early signs of this revitalization going on. And this would be another thing that could help push us uh, over the top. And really, 
go from from last place to first. Screw that, you know, let's just blow everyone right by. Let's go right to the front of the line. Yeah. And so that was really the idea behind Rocket Fiber. So, you know, fortunately, my sense was right. I joined a company that believed in innovation, believed in big ideas, and I submitted the idea. We had an internal idea platform at Quicken Loans called the Cheese Factory. Yep. And I, I did a write-up on it, submitted it, and uh, I emailed it out to the entire IT team, and people just went nuts. Like, people were, were really excited. A lot of great emails, a lot of encouragement, a lot of people telling me, like, yeah, we need to do this. Like, how can I help? And that was really the the first domino that fell uh, to, to make Rocket Fiber a reality. Wow. So then, so then in Quicken Loans, just for, to clarify for the listeners out there, so in Quicken, at Quicken Loans, is there a set-aside time that they devote to each employee to come up with ideas? And if there's other things that people are working on, do they get a chance to work on extra projects? Or how does that work? Yeah, great question. I'm glad you asked. So uh, we have something called Bullet Time. Um, so the cheese factory was the idea portal and then bullet time was the actual time that you could work on that. So it was four hours every week, every Monday afternoon, you could work on these ideas that didn't necessarily have to do with your, your day-to-day job. Okay. Now they had to be something, you know, related to the broader mission of the organization. You couldn't be, you know, running your side business, you know, during bullet time. But if you were trying to build something, it didn't have to tie to your day-to-day responsibilities, which was really cool. It was this dedicated time to go do that. You had buy-in from leadership across across IT. Everyone in IT is doing this. So um, that was really some of the, the early time that we used to start working on and incubating the idea behind Rocket Fiber. Now, eventually it grew beyond that where, you know, um, my, my co-founders, my partners, Randy and Eddie, the three of us were working you know, nights and weekends and whatever else we could get time to do this because planning a business of that magnitude was no, you know, four hour a week job. Right. Um, but bullet time was kind of that, you know, that institutional created safe space for us to go do that, that, that really got us started. Okay. So then you guys subsequently after that, you guys what moved it up the chain as far as command or how, how did that work into it ended up being its own company? Yeah, so a number of things happened. One was, you know, early on I emailed uh, Dan uh, a couple of times because it was really this thing I felt very passionately about. He needed to know about it. it this was something that, that could affect everything that we were doing from our real estate to our technology investments. And so I said, what the heck? I'm just going to email Dan. Um, he seems like this visionary guy. You know, some people might be afraid to email a CEO, a chairman of an organization. Um, but for me, it was always, look, worst case scenario, they, they they fire me and then I get to go do my side hustle, fair chat, full time. Right. And best case scenario, my my instinct is right. And, and Dan and our senior leadership are going to be receptive to this idea. And this could actually happen. And uh, fortunately, it was it was the latter. And, uh, you know, Dan and uh you know, over the first, I think, three or four months, there was two or three emails sent uh, where Dan had responded and came back and was like, yeah, I want this. We're doing this. Not like, hey, can somebody, you know, maybe take a look at this idea? He was like, right out of the get-go, he was like, we're doing this. Wow. Um, which I think was really powerful for us, uh, for me and my co-founders, because that was like the stamp of approval that we needed to go run through some of the 
the hurdles that you face in any organization of that size. Yeah. An organization the size of, of Quicken Loans or, or really any big company isn't necessarily designed to incubate you know, new businesses, certainly ones that aren't in their vertical or their industry right. um, um, from scratch like that. And, and we made a lot of progress through that. There's been a lot done internally uh, since, since we kind of went through that whole process. Um, but I think, you know, Dan's really early buy-in was, was absolutely a huge part of why we were able to do what we did. Oh, absolutely. And, and that's the one thing, folks, for anybody in IT or interested in IT, great companies like Quicken Loans, they nurture their employees, just like what Mark was explaining. So that means that you don't have to necessarily have projects that tie directly to the line of business of the company you're working for, but to have that company support your idea is monumental. You know, it, it's, it's, it's leaps and bounds over everything else because most companies, it would take probably 10 months just to get to talk to the CEO. You have to move up the chain. You have to go through the chain of command. But for this to be a blessing for you and your team, man, to go straight to the source and he says, let's do it, that, that's, that's, that's awesome, man. It's wonderful. It's wonderful, man. And, and so then for the listeners out there, man, can you explain what Rocket Fiber is? What, what, what is what, what's the line of business with Rocket Fiber? Absolutely. So, yeah, at our core, we're an Internet service provider uh, for both residential and business customers uh, in greater downtown Detroit. And we have literally laid brand new fiber optic cables uh, through the streets or underneath the streets of Detroit. And in some cases on utility poles um, to build this fiber optic network. The analogy is kind of like, you know, you've got the freeway system and, and you've got highways and then you've got side streets and then driveways. Well, with fiber. It's all highways from, yeah. from your door all the way to your destination. Um, and in the internet industry, uh, you have fiber backbones for a lot of internet providers, but then you have older legacy copper technologies like coax cable or DSL phone lines uh, that some of the other providers use. So we're, we're pure highway from your door to your destination, and it's all fiber. And allows us to provide internet speed starting at one gigabit per second, which is a thousand megabits per second, wow. all the way up to 400 gigabits per second. And we could actually go faster than that if we really needed to, but we really haven't had a use case for that yet. So it's it's really the future of the internet uh, backbone infrastructure in this country, and is absolutely essential for businesses, for residences, for 5G now coming out. Yeah. Uh, all runs on fiber. And so we've we've essentially made Detroit uh, future proof from that perspective and, and have one of the most advanced Internet infrastructures of any major American city. That's wonderful, man. So for, for you people out there who are not into tech, high tech and IT to break it, break it down in layman's terms. Basically, if you're in a car and you're on a side street going 20 miles an hour, which is probably the same as your power in your home Internet access right now. What Mark is saying for Rocket Fiber, you be on the left-hand lane in a fr on a freeway using Rocket Fiber, because it's it's that fast of a service. Um, and for those of you all who have small businesses, that may be the, may be the mark if you have a website or web-based activity in your business, because the faster the internet, the faster you can get you can get things done. You can improve your website much cleaner and much faster. Um, so it's a, it's a great it's a great tool. And uh, Mark, I'd like to congratulate you and the team for having that designation and having Detroit be one of the premier high-tech cities across the country because a lot of cities don't think of Detroit as high-tech, even though we have the greatest amount of engineers produced per capita. But 
having that kind of mark now, we really can take a stamp on a lot of different things. Um, and the one thing I want to ask you too, um, to your knowledge, has has the business of Rocket Fiber helped in terms of luring people to Detroit? Like I know there have been over the past few years, there have been people who have just uprooted and come to Detroit from other areas like San Francisco and maybe Houston or maybe the East Coast. Has Rocket Fiber helped spur that as well? You know, I don't know if we've gotten anyone that's literally said, hey, I'm coming all the way to Detroit just for Rocket Fiber, but we've certainly helped keep a lot of people here, a lot of businesses. Um, we, we had a, a, a video production customer, for example, where they were in the Penobscot building, and we're literally looking at moving their office somewhere else because they couldn't get faster internet to their suite. And they were shipping 100 gigabyte hard drives all over the country. Every time they, they did work for a customer, they're overnighting these hard drives, very expensive to ship them at, at the number they were sending. And so it was becoming a situation where they were going to have to leave. And we got them on Rocket Fiber. So now they're saving a ton of money and they're actually able to get their product to their customer faster. So that was like one of our early use cases, was, which was really cool to see. Uh, you had the CEO of Ally Financial actually say it's because of high-tech internet infrastructure like Rocket Fiber. That's one of the reasons we decided to stay in downtown Detroit versus moving out to the suburbs. Uh, so that was another great feather in our cap when you look at a, at a major corporation and how internet is so essential to what they do as well. Yeah, um, we've had a ton of startups that that use our our internet, use that gigabit internet, use every uh, every bit that they get or can. Um, we've got a lot of mobility companies that are doing a lot of R and D. They're pushing huge amounts of data um, where they were like, "Hey, if we don't have that gigabit connection, then we can't actually push our data to the cloud or to our central office." They might be part of a bigger uh, automotive company without saying any specifics. Um, and they really need that high-speed connectivity that only fiber can provide. Okay. Um, so I think, it, you know, at our core, there's definitely been, been an impact to the technology ecosystem. Um, I just don't want to say that we take credit for, like, any company that's literally come here just for rocket fiber specifically. Um, because I think, you know, it, the word resurgence and revival, depending on what areas of the country that you go to. But the companies that do come here when they see the real estate and they see the opportunity and the resources and then they, and then they see the rocket fiber, it's like, Holy crap. I gotta, I gotta be here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's definitely a hidden gem. And, and I gotta get, like, again, I could congratulate you and the team for even having it going and having it thrive and, and grow as, as it's growing. So for all you listening out there, if you're not even involved with high tech, let's say it like this, let's say you're at home and you want to download a song or an album. Mark, I know I've, I've seen stats on Rocket Fiber speed analogy before, but can you just give the listener, the lay listener, a breakdown of what the speed would be? Like how long would it take to download a movie using regular DSL versus using Rocket Fiber? Yeah, it, you know, the Blu-ray, if you're, if you're looking at a Blu-ray quality uh, HD or even if you're looking at 4K quality on a DSL connection, you're, you're into the hours uh, of time. Where on, on Rocket Fiber, you're in seconds or minutes, depending, again, on what quality you're looking at. Um, so it's just totally game-changing. You're, you're, you're never going to be sitting around on a gigabit connection for 99.9% of use cases today waiting for your internet to catch up to whatever you're doing. It really, the way we describe it, it's like the internet's not even there. You don't even feel it because everything just feels like it's a native application on your computer or your Mac, like how you are you're interacting with a program that's already on your computer. That's what gigabit internet allows you to do 
with cloud-based applications and, and software that lives somewhere else on some other server. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that folks, if you, if you have any questions after that, I don't know what else to tell you. That is amazing because as much, as much information and data we download every day or use through streaming, or whatever rocket fiber is the key to make it happen even faster. And that's kind of scary, man, because now that you guys have upped the game, now there's going to be people demanding even more. And, you know, we'll probably be looking at things like artificial intelligence, robotics, everything else. So be using rocket fiber to be, to be more efficient and get products and innovations done faster, which is great. Uh, so I think it's a great thing for our society and for inventors and coders and people out there that's always pushing the envelope. And um, so for, for, the outlook, where where are you guys in terms of plans for the future? Like, are there any like um, ideas or anything through Rocket Fiber you guys are looking at, maybe venturing off into, or are you just building based on scale, or, or what are you, what are you what are you doing? Well, right now we're really focused on enterprise business. We think that's that's an area that there's just a lot of opportunity in in terms of you know improving the quality, reliability, security of internet connectivity. Uh, at its core as a core product, but then adding other products on top of that. So we do uh, fully managed network services. So any of your network that is from your internet handoff inward, so your your Wi-Fi, your switches, your firewalls, all of that that would live in the office that could be managed internally by your IT team, we actually offer that as a service, okay. uh, a fully uh, a month-to-month service that you can come in and hire us to do, and we lease you the equipment, and we just turnkey all of that so you can focus on your business. Okay. Uh, so managed network services, we do voice services. Um, we're actually launching a cloud product we're very excited about, and actually getting into uh, doing some data center stuff where you've got a lot of, a lot of interest in downtown businesses where they want to have a server um, in a secure data center facility. So that's something that we're moving toward as well. I think more long-term in terms of you know, really innovative stuff that we're working on. Um, I mentioned 5G before. So 5G is essentially the next generation of wireless uh, cellular connectivity in the United States. And 5G is going to be powered by fiber. I get the question all the time, is 5G going to replace fiber? Is it a competitor to fiber? And the answer is it's neither. It, it's, it's run on fiber. So it's an extension of fiber. Okay. And, and what it is is all the wireless carriers are going to be deploying radios, and going from being on big cell towers to being closer to their users. So on light poles, on building rooftops, in buildings, there's going to be more radios. It can provide higher speeds and lower latency connections. So even more use cases and applications, and they're all going to run on fiber. Yeah. Um, so they're all going to be connected to fiber to handle the bandwidth and capacity that these 5G networks need. Okay. So this is going to unlock things like autonomous vehicles and mobility, uh, healthcare applications, smart city, IOT, sensors on everything from your car to the street sign to the sidewalks, you name it, you can dream of it. It's probably already being worked on right now and going to run on 5G, which runs on fiber. Wow. So for you listeners out there, 5G is the next level of mobile technology as far as speed and Wi-Fi. And as far as the residential area, Mark, are, are you guys still expanding on that? Or what's, what's your plans for the, reaching that area? So yes and no. So we're not building fiber to the home anymore, uh, with the exception of a few of the you know more high-rise developments downtown. And the reason for that is 
again, 5G. So we really think we're going to be in a world here in the next two to three years uh, where you're buying the data plan for your phone, your home internet, and your car all from the same wireless provider. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that will be running on our network. So you might not be interacting with Rocket Fiber as a home um, user directly, um, but you're still using our technology and our platform that the wireless carriers are using to provide that service. Yeah. Um, and so that model is going to change the game. That's going to make home internet speeds go up. It's going to make the cost go down. In most, most areas of this country, uh, you only have two internet providers uh, right. if you're lucky. Right. So some people have three, but most only have two. It's usually the phone company and the cable company, right. wherever those two companies are in your area. And this is going to totally change the game. You're going to have five, six, seven providers because you're going to be able to buy wireless internet from any of the wireless carriers as well. And that is just, we know free market economics, more competition drives the price down, improves the quality of service. And that's what 5G is going to unlock and one of the reasons we're so excited about it. So we're not building the fiber of the home right now because we really think it's not going to be the the most cost-effective way to deliver that quality of service for residential users in the future. Yeah. Certainly not in kind of like single-family neighborhoods where it's more spread out. In large apartment buildings and condo buildings, that wireless signal may not penetrate those big concrete buildings as well. And you might still do fiber uh, or, or, or a cat six cable to those units to provide internet. Sure. Uh, but that's more of a limited case basis where you're in a, a dense urban core versus out in neighborhoods or suburbs of, of, you know, any major American city. Well, that strategy makes sense too, because now, um, as we go more and more into technology, more people are mobile anyway, using tablets, phones, and other mobile devices, as opposed to a landline for internet. So, you know, a lot of people may not have access to a computer, but they have a phone and that phone uses the Internet. So that's that's a great strategy to have because there's there's billions of phone users out there and the you know, the, the PC user is dwindling down. So now you're having the technology with 5G and, and high speed Internet through Wi-Fi access that helps the, those users, too, because when you look at those media streaming services, whether it be music or tech or even movies or anything like that that helps that grow faster too so that, that's wonderful mark i'm glad to to hear that you all are going in that direction because that's where the future is um and and for those of you out there listening if you pay attention to some of the carriers they already ha- they're already advertising 5g which is going to be the next level to take us all to the next level and so um mark going into this area in detroit michigan usa i know you've been in the scene for quite a while now um one is one question. One of the questions I wanted to ask you is, what what's your take on the Detroit tech scene, the entrepreneurship scene, and where do you see it going? Because it's and you were here right on the cusp. You know, you saw the energy, like myself and a few other people who were around at that time. So since going from 2011 to now, which is eight eight years going into it, where do you see the future of the it of the Detroit scene? Maybe in the next five or ten years. Well, I'm really excited about where we're going. We've, we've come a really long way. Uh, we really have. We're still very early. Um, and what I mean by that is we still don't have enough uh, seasoned entrepreneurs that have been through, you know, an exit or maybe even a failure, but are kind of on their second, third, fourth, uh, you know, venture entity. Very few entrepreneurs hit it out of the park on their first, second, even third business. Yeah. Um, 
so we've got we've got momentum there. We've got enough founders where they're starting to you're starting to actually see a founder-led community for the first time. Um, in my opinion, I think you know historically we're, we've been kind of propped up, you know, institutional funds or institutional accelerators or or what have you. You've actually got an organic founder network now that's trying to get organized around supporting other early stage founders in Detroit. So I think that's really important. Uh, yeah. I think we still have a long way to go in terms of access to very early stage capital. Um, we know there's, there's, you know, a good amount of venture activity in Michigan, especially in Southeast Michigan, uh, but not, not enough early stage stuff to, to really give a lot of our early founders enough runway to do something here, sure. even if that is to fail. Um, and so we, we've still got work to do there. Um, something that we're actually talking about solving it, trying to split, not solve, but play a part in, and supporting at bamboo. Um, uh, so we'll have more to come on that later, but, um, there's, there's a lot of good signs, a lot of good indicators. I, I would just caution everyone. I think we're still early yeah. and we need more density. We need more, more companies. We need a few more exits. Um, but I'm really excited about duo and, and their exit because I think, um, there's a lot of really smart, talented people at Duo, and and they've kind of blazed the trail. They've shown that they've shown the rest of us the way. A lot of them very active, you know, mentoring um, on their leadership team. Everyone knows Doug. He's he's the most accessible founder that I've ever met, and yeah. and out there and coaching and mentoring people all over the place. So yeah. I'm very excited about what Duo did and the fact that they proved that you can build a billion dollar technology company here in Southeast Michigan. Uh, a unicorn, have an exit, have a great company, have great people do that. And they've done that here in the last, you know, decade. Yeah. And shout um, out to shout so, out to Doug and the team. Uh, everything, you know, they've done is great. And I, I see you guys headed in the same direction, which is a great thing too. I appreciate that. We got a long way to go where I won't say we're, we're, we're anywhere in that league yet, but um, I've certainly learned. You know, we've got a great ecosystem, a great support structure with our family of companies and Quicken Loans and looking at, like I said, other companies like Duo um, and, and other companies out in Ann Arbor and Detroit that are models that we can, uh, you know, really aspire to be like them. And so we've just got to keep going. We've got to keep working to connect everyone yep. um, because this really is about how we support one another, not, not you know, fight over limited resources because i've certainly seen a lot of that especially uh you know four or five years ago going on i think we're a lot better yeah. um, we're not going to get to where we need to go as a community if we're all not rowing in the same direction right um and so uh, the more relationships we can build the more mentorship the more resources we can deploy uh we're just going to keep accelerating so overall i'm very bullish on it i i tell people i tell investors and other entrepreneurs all the time when i'm traveling you got to see what's going on in Detroit because it would really, really surprise you. Um, and I think that hopefully over the next, you know, 12 to 18 months, there's going to be some companies doing some really exciting stuff here. It's going to shock a lot of people. Yep. Um, so I think we just got to, you know, continue doing that, continuing to get some more big exits under our belt and, um, and keep going, keep grinding, doing what entrepreneurs do. Oh yeah, man. Um, and then you had mentioned a little while ago about Bamboo Detroit it might be a little personal question, but how did you come across being involved in partnering with Bamboo Detroit? Well, no, it's, it's a great question. It's an easy one. Uh, my girlfriend was one of the founders. So, um, you know, four or five years ago, uh, you know, a group of friends out for drinks after one of these startup events. And 
you know, four original founders sitting there talking about the lack of co-working space in Detroit. And, and, and one of the, the partners, the founders, Mike Ferlito said, Hey, my dad's got a building uh, over on brush street. We should go check it out tomorrow. And, you know, I heard him say it and I, everyone's like saying, yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. And I'm thinking we're just at the bar talking. <laughs> right. so I wake up the next morning and Amanda's like, Hey, we're going, get your stuff. We're leaving right now. We're meeting everyone there. And so, that that was how the whole thing started. You know, the four original partners and founders of Bamboo uh, Friends decided they were going to do something about a major resource they thought was lacking in the city. And so they started the company. And Bamboo has been completely bootstrapped ever since, yeah. um, grown from the original, you know, 3,000 square foot space to over 20,000 square feet now, uh, 400 plus members and all the amazing impact and, and work that they're doing. Um, and, and the programming that's going on there is just incredible. So, and, and now just, you know, one, one of many players in the ecosystem here. So a lot of really good stuff going on. Um, but that's how bamboo started. It was, it was like many great ideas over drinks at a bar among friends. Oh yeah. And a great idea at that because it's, it's a, such a great vibrant community has been built from that, from the time of the ground up. And like I tell listeners all the time, I'm, um, you have know, been involved with it for a few years now, been coming to all the events, coming to startups like everybody else. But anybody who's interested in what goes on, you can come through Bamboo Detroit and be involved and jump right in. It's not like it's exclusive to anyone. It's all inclusive. It's, it's, it's welcoming. It's a great family environment. And anyone who's either thinking about coming to Detroit has visited, has visited Detroit already or even just wants to even check out what's going on, you can visit the Bamboo Detroit website. Um, we list it here, usually on the podcast, but to let you all know, we have a great environment here, and it's and it's growing, and a lot of people are putting their hands in and rolling their sleeves and rolling their sleeves up, and it's it's a great environment. And uh, the other thing, Mark, with everything that you've been working on, it's, and I see that you had found your passion with technology and and your in your skills and experience of helping people and creating a service, a great service like Rocket Fiber. Would you be would you be like interested in other areas or are you, are you looking at for the time being, I know it's hard to p- pinpoint the future, but would you be looking at other ventures as well? Or are you just totally, are you solely just uh, strictly concentrating on rocket fiber now? Well, rocket fiber is definitely my main focus and I've got a lot to accomplish still at rocket fiber. So it's so not really looking at anything else. And, and I'm very excited about what we've built and where we, where we can go with our team. We've got a great, a great team, passionate people. People are the lifeblood of any company. Yeah. And, and I think we we're finally, we, you know, we made a lot of mistakes. We figured a lot of things out, but I think we're finally at a point where we're, we're really hitting our stride. So I'm very excited about Rocket Fiber. Um, aside from that though, you know, one of the things we're talking about, I alluded to before is the early stage capital issue. Um, and so, you know, as much as I can, like to give back, work with other startups, um, in some cases have, you know, floated a little bit of money here or there where it's like, hey, they've got a great idea. They've proven they know what they're doing. They need a little shot in the arm to kind of take that next step. And and so that's something that we're talking about right now to say, hey, we've got this great resource uh, or, or community of resources at Bamboo. How can we kind of pool all that together yeah. to start really getting behind our founders and our entrepreneurs in, in an even more meaningful way than just our, you know, our time or energy or in addition to our time and energy. So that's something we're trying to figure out right now. 
Um, how do we how do we start backing some of these companies uh, from a capital perspective? That's sure. really the only other thing I'm looking at. But uh, but but happy and and very much excited for things at Rocket Fiber in 2019 and beyond. Oh yeah, yeah, great things, man. And and the thing I you know I look at with Rocket Fiber, definitely part of a, a support of infrastructure. So any any person anyone looking or founder or team looking to build something here maybe web-based business, maybe an, an online business or anything else, they can use Rocket Fiber. If they set up shop downtown, they definitely have access to it. And I can tell you all, folks, just as a consumer, being using Rocket Fiber as a service, extremely lightning quick. So it's going to shock you and amaze you what, you what you can do with that kind of speed. So then the other thing is, Mark, uh, before we wrap up, just wanted to uh, ask you one more question. In terms of the tech scene itself, and we talked about the entrepreneurship scene. Where, where do you see entrepreneurs headed that may not necessarily be in tech per se, but where do you, in, in terms of the entrepreneurship culture in the next few years, where do you see that going? Well, I think it's it's more important and more needed than ever. And the pace of innovation in this country, whether it is in tech or retail or any other uh, industry, is only is only getting faster. So I think entrepreneurship is going to be the lifeblood of our economy and, and will continue to generate opportunity for people, especially when they may not have opportunities uh, elsewhere. You know, through an economic downturn, for example, companies aren't hiring. My family did it. Entrepreneurship is what got us through. Uh, I think that's the same mindset that a lot of other people have and, and should have. So um, I love entrepreneurship. It is literally the thing that makes me uh, get out of bed every day. I am excited about people building companies i'm excited to talk to them to hear about their passion to hear about their vision and and just want to support them in any way i can uh, because i know that with entrepreneurship comes incredible highs but also comes incredible lows and and just letting people know hey you're not alone it, it is a bit of a lonely journey sometimes but it's it is your own journey it's a journey where you're gonna you're gonna learn a lot about yourself what what motivates you what makes you tick um, but there are a lot of other people that are going through that similar uh, journey in life because uh, entrepreneurship really is a life journey. It's not it's not just a nine to five thing. That's right. And I tell people all the time, man, for entrepreneurs, it's a way of life. It's not a career. It's something you're doing 24-7. It's something you live with. And um, so I commend you so much again, man, for Rocket, for having the courage to get out there, put Rocket Fiber shingles up and get the service out there. Wonderful service, and I'm looking forward to great great things in the future for 2019 and beyond for you, man. I really appreciate it, man. John, thank you so much. I, I can't thank you enough for doing this and uh, for always being such a great supporter and a great friend. So thank you, uh, and you have a great one. All right, no problem. Oh, before we go, man, let me make sure for yeah. for people out there that are listening want to get in contact, what's your contact information, Mark? Yeah, so my email, best way to get a hold of me, is Mark, M-A-R-C, Hudson, at rocketfiber.com. And you can also tweet at me, uh, Mark, M-A-R-C, B, as in David, Hudson. So it's Mark D. Hudson is my Twitter handle. So thank you, Mark, so much for being a part of the Doers Network podcast. We had a great conversation. And for those of you listening, email Mark, reach out to Mark on social media. Lots of great wisdom. 
For a young man, he has a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge, and he's an astounding young man willing to share what he knows, and he's willing to provide service to you. So with that, Mark, thank you so much, man, for being part of the Doers Network podcast. Appreciate your time, man. Thank you, Don. It was my pleasure. Thank you all for listening. You've been listening to the Doers Network, where actors grow and thrive. Thanks for tuning in to our interview with Mark Hudson, co-founder and CEO of Rocket Fiber. If you want to know more about Rocket Fiber and its services, you can go to www.rocketfiber.com. Again, that's www.rocketfiber.com. If you want to get in contact with Mark directly, you can email him at markhudson, that's M-A-R-C-H-U-D-S-O-N, at rocketfiber.com. Or on social media, you can reach him on Twitter at at symbol M-A-R-C-D-H-U-D-S-O-N. That's at Mark D. Hudson. This podcast is produced and brought to you by Bamboo Detroit, located in the heart of downtown Detroit. Bamboo Detroit specializes in co-working space and amenities for entrepreneurs and forward thinkers. Bamboo Detroit, where we do more together because Detroit is for doers. We appreciate your support by subscribing to our podcast right here on the Doers Network. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Doers Podcast, where actives grow and thrive. The Doers Podcast is produced by Bamboo Detroit Network. For more information, visit us at BambooDetroit.com.